With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about Bekamad of Memtes, page 49. We begin at the bottom of Memtes, page 48b, at the Mishnah, four lines from the bottom. If there was an ox that meant to cause damage to another ox, and instead of that, so he ended up striking a woman. And she had a miscarriage. So the owner of the ox does not have to pay for the value of the child, the child that was miscarried. However, in regards to a person who meant to hit his friend, who meant to hit his comrade, and instead he struck a woman, and the woman miscarried, so then the man does indeed pay the value of the miscarriage. How do we determine the amount of money he has to pay? So the Tanakhama holds that you evaluate how much the woman was worth before she gave birth, which was a higher value because she was pregnant and she had a child inside of her. And how much she's worth now that she's given birth? She has a lower value as a slave. And therefore, the difference is how much the person has to pay. says, onto the top of Testament Aleph, 49a, If so, so then when a woman gives birth, so she goes up in value. We'll have to see what this means exactly. The Gemara is going to explain this. For now, let's leave it. So, but in any event, Sir Bishmigamalil holds that you would determine the value of the child separately from the mother, and that's how much the, the person who caused the damage has to give to the husband of this woman. If her husband's not around, he died. So, the money, it's a special schuz, a special merit that it goes to the husband or to his inheritors, but not to the woman. If let's say the woman was a freed slave, for all intents and purposes she was a convert, or a, a straight-up convert, there's no obligation to pay. Since if let's say the woman, so her husband was a convert, usually Rashi says a convert marries a convert, so such a woman, she's married to a convert, the convert died, and they had no children, just no one to inherit them, convert has no relatives, so therefore there's no obligation on the person who caused the damage to pay, and not even to the woman herself. We'll see the explanation for this in the Gemara. We begin the Gemara. The reason why an ox has no obligation to pay for the miscarriage is because it seems because it intended to kill another ox. And what happened? It ended up damaging this woman. Let's say it intended to cause damage to the woman. The implication would be that it would have to pay for the miscarriage. This would seem to be a disproof of the statement of Rav Adabar Ava. Rav Adabar Ava, Rav Adabar Ava says as follows. An ox that intends to hurt a woman, is not obligated to pay for the miscarriage. So the implication of the Mishnah would seem to be a disproof to Rav Adabarava. So Rav Adabarava will say as follows: Who had din? It would be the same halacha that filu neskavan leishon nami petur mi vladois. The Mishnah would agree to me that if it went, if the ox had intended to hurt a woman and it caused the miscarriage, there would still be no obligation to pay for that miscarriage. So then why did it say a case that seems to preclude that fact? It says a case where it meant to damage another animal, and it ended up damaging the woman. So that's implying that it's only because it didn't intend to damage the woman that there's an obligation. So what's going to be the explanation? The only reason that we said that is because we wanted to say a similar type of case in the end. Where one man intended to hurt his friend, 
and it ended up that he hurt the woman, the Hachik Sivkara. And the reason they chose that case over there is because that's what the verses say. When the Torah talks about this case, it talks about this kind of case. So therefore, So that's why in the first case we also said that we're talking about an ox that meant to kill another ox and then it ended up hurting the woman. But the truth would be that there would be the same exact halacha, there would be no obligation to pay for the miscarriage, even in a case where it actually intended to hurt the woman. Amar Rav Papa, Rav Papa tells us another halacha. You have an ox that causes damage to a maidservant. That's a non-Jewish woman who is a slave to a Jewish person. And the child was lost, she had a miscarriage. In this case, the owner of the ox will in fact have to pay for the miscarriage to the owner of the slave. My time, what's the reason? What's the understanding of this? Why is it different than a regular woman where they don't have to pay? In the eyes of halacha, so a maidservant is exactly the same as if the ox had damaged a donkey, a pregnant donkey. And we'll see why in a moment. But the idea is that just like a donkey, if it miscarries because of the damage of an ox, there's going to be an obligation on the owner of the ox to pay. So too in this case, in regards to a maidservant that she, she miscarried, so in the eyes of halacha, she's considered like a donkey, there's going to be an obligation on the owner of the ox to pay. How do we know this? The Omar Krah, we have a pasuk. Abraham was speaking to Eliezer, his slave, and he said to him, you sit here along with the donkey. Im, so what does you use the word im? The word im teaches you that there's a similarity between the subject of the sentence, which was the slave, which is Eliezer, and to the other side of the sentence, which is the donkey. And the ramification of that similarity in this case is that it's considered, for all intents and purposes, that the ox is gored a chamor, a donkey, and therefore there's going to be an obligation on the owner of the ox to pay as if he had caused the miscarriage to a donkey, and there's a value to that. The Gemara continues. We said in the Mishnah, how do we determine the value of the child? So we said we, we take the difference between how much the woman was worth before and how much she was worth afterwards. Deme Vladis, the Gemara says, hold on. Deme Vladis, that's not the value of the child. Shevach Vladis mi It should have said in the Mishnah what she's worth more when she has a child inside of her that she's pregnant. Because that's what we're determining, how much she was worth before and how much she was worth after. Where answers, Hachi Nami Kamar. That's what we mean. Ketsim Mishan Deme Vladis, Ushevach Vladis. How do we pay the value of the child, which is included, because it's a greater value, how much she was worth before as opposed to what she's worth after? So that, the answer to that is, Shemana Sayyusha Kami Yafa. We figure out how much the woman was worth before. Before she gave birth, and how much she's worth now that she already gave birth. Now the Gemara continues and explains the statement which was quite nebulous of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. Rabbi Gamliel said as follows: Im Cain, if so, according to you, the Tanakama, Misha Isha Yeladis Misha Bachas, you're implying that when she, when the woman gives birth, she goes up in value. My Kamar, what does he mean? That's not what they said at all. They didn't say that she goes up in value. They said that she's worth more before than after. Amar Rabbi, Rabbi explains as follows. This is what he means. What he means to say is like this. According to you, what you're saying in the Tanakama, you're saying that she's worth more before she gives birth than after she gives birth. No, she's worth more afterwards than before. Why? Well, she explains. Because a woman who hasn't given birth yet, so she's literally in a sakonis mavis, she's in danger of death. A woman who is about to give birth. So first of all, you don't know the child is going to survive. Second of all, you don't know if the woman's going to survive. So when is she worth worth more? She was worth more afterwards. After she's given birth, and we know that she's okay. 
So according to Shemim Gamliel, we don't evaluate how much she was worth before and how much after. That doesn't give you the value of the child, but rather you evaluate the child separately, and that's the amount of money that's given over to the husband. Tanya Nami Hachi, we have a bride like this as well, explicitly. Shemim Gamliel said, Is it true that a woman is worth more before she gives birth than after she gives birth? A woman is worth more after she gives birth than before she gives birth. Rather, we evaluate how much the child was worth, and that's the amount of money that we give to the husband. All of that was the explanation according to Rava. Now, Rava is going to give a different explanation. Rava Amar, Rava says, Hachi Gotani. This is the explanation of Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel's statement. Is it true that she goes up in value only in regards to the husband that she's, she's uh, pregnant from? She doesn't get anything for herself from the fact that she's gone up in value now that she's pregnant? Can't be. Rather, says Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel, we evaluate how much value there is to the child itself. And noisin Labal. The husband gets that money. But the amount that she's gone up in value now that she's pregnant, Cholkin. So that's split between herself and the husband. Tanya Nami Hachli, we have a brace like this explicitly, like Rav says, Amar Rishim Gamliel, Rishim Gamliel says, A woman is only considered that she's gone up in value in regards to the person that she got pregnant from. She doesn't have anything on her own from the fact that she's gone up in value now that she's pregnant. We determine all the different damages separately. First we determine the actual damage to her. Then we determine the amount of pain that she's had. The Shamanas of Lodis, and we determine how much the child was worth. The husband gets that money. And the amount that she's actually physically gone up in value herself, besides for the actual child, that's split between them. So we have a steer, we have a contradiction between the two brasses. We brought two different brasses. One was approved to Rabbah, and, and one was approved to Rava. And they seem to be saying the opposite thing. One seems to say that before she's worth more. One seems to say that she's worth more after. What's the explanation? It depends what we're talking about. If it's a woman who has never given birth before, it's her first time. That's what Mivakaris means. If it's her first time, so there's a tremendous amount of danger, and we don't know if she's going to make it. So therefore, she's worth more afterwards, after we see that she's already survived. But in the, in the brasses, seems to imply that she's worth more before, that's a woman that's not her first time. We already know that she's gone through numerous pregnancies and given birth and she's been fine. Therefore, she's indeed worth more before than she's worth after. Now the Gemara asks for Rabban, and according to the rabbis, the sages, the Amri Shavach Vladis Nam Lebal, they argue on Rabbi Gamliel, and they say that actually, whatever value she's gone up now that she's pregnant, besides for the amount of money that the child is worth, it also goes to the Baal, also goes to the husband. My time, what's the reason? How do they get that? We have in the Mishnah. From the fact that it says, that she has a miscarriage. Don't I know that she's pregnant? What does the verse have to tell us that she's pregnant? According to the sages, they say that it's coming to teach you as follows, that whatever value she's gone up in value because she's pregnant, that money also goes to the husband. According to Rishim Gamliel, who said that they split it, so how, what does he learn out from this verse? He needs it for the following b'risa. The only time that a man is obligated to pay for the damages, to pay for the miscarriage, is only if he had actually struck her around the area where she's pregnant, meaning around her womb. But otherwise, there would be no obligation, because he hadn't caused the miscarriage. When we say that he struck her around the womb area, it doesn't mean literally only that area. Any place that if he struck her there, it would prevent the warmth from getting to the child, to the fetus, meaning the child would not be able to survive because of that strike. So therefore, then there's going to be an obligation to pay for the miscarriage. The only exclusion is going to be if he struck her on her hand or on her leg, that's completely disconnected from the fetus, and therefore there's not going to be an obligation to pay for the miscarriage.
The Gemara continues. He says, It was a woman who was married to a convert, so then, and the convert died, and there's no inheritors, so there's no obligation on the person who caused the damage to pay for the miscarriage. Rabbi says, When is it that we said there's no obligation to pay? Only if, when the original damage had taken place, was when the ger, the convert was still alive. And then the convert died. They came in the chavol since the damage had taken place while he was still alive. So then, so then the convert had indeed merited to have that money. Became the Mesa Hager, and then once the convert dies, Zachabuhu Menager. So then anyone who once can come and take it, theoretically, and the person who still owes the money, so he's the first one to get it. So therefore, it's his. If let's say the, the convert had already died when the damage took place, when he damaged this woman, So then the woman herself, in fact, merits to get this money. And therefore there's going to be an obligation upon him to pay her. Amr of Chizda, Mari Dechi. Chizda says the one who said this sugya, who said this concept, meaning Raba, are children like bags of money, that it can go from one person, one person can merit it if another person didn't get it. Meaning, the, the money is supposed to go to him, it's supposed to go to the husband. The woman, for all intents and purposes, has no claim to this money. If the husband's around, so then the Torah gives the money to him. According to Rav Chizda, if the husband's not around, the money doesn't go to him, it doesn't go to her. The person who has the money, he's the one who merits the money, so to speak. The Gemara now asks a question on Rabbah's statement. Rabbah said that, in fact, if the convert was not alive anymore, so the woman would, in fact, get the money. So if, let's say a person struck a woman and the, and the woman miscarried. So you give the money of the damages and the pain to the woman. And the value of the child goes to the husband. If the husband's not around, the money goes to his inheritors. If the woman's not around and they're divorced, so the money goes to her inheritors. Let's say the woman was a freed slave, a gyeris, or a convert, and she's married to a convert, and the convert's not around. Zacha. So the Gemara thinks in the Havamina, at least, that uh, that the person who caused the damage now merits, he gets the money, he doesn't have to pay her anything. And Rashi explains that this would seem to be across the board, whether the, the gear, the convert was around when the actual damage had taken place, or whether he had died previously, no matter what, the person who caused the damage does not have to give her the money. So the Gemara says, Amri, um, ya Wait, you're saying, is, the, is this Bryce any better than our mission? We said the mission is talking about where, why does the money go to the person who caused the damage? Because the damage was caused when the convert was still alive. Um, and then he died. So that's why the person who caused the damage gets the money. Here too we could say that the, the damage was done when the person, the convert was still alive, then he died, and that's why the person who owes the money doesn't have to pay it to her. However, if let's say the, the convert had died already when the damage took place, then it could be the money would go to her. Just like Rabbi said, we might see another possibility to explain the Brisa how it fits in with what Rabbi says. We could be talking about the case where the gear, the convert, is not alive anymore, and that's when the damage took place. So then, what does it mean that they get the money? Who gets the money? It means that she gets the money, not him. It means the person who's supposed to get the money, the person who deserves the money, that's who gets it, according to Rabbi. That's how he's going to explain the Brisa. Now the Gemara says, Let us say that this is actually an argument between two different Brises. A regular Jewish woman who is married to a convert, she got pregnant from him, and she was struck while the ger, the convert, was still alive. So as long as the convert is still alive, the money goes to the convert. Let's say the convert dies and he has no inheritors. 
One rice says that there is an obligation on the person who caused the damage. One rice says that there is no obligation on the person who caused the damage. My love tonight, Why don't we say that perhaps the two Bryceus, the one that says that there's an obligation, is because it's like Rabba who says that there's an obligation still to pay the woman. The woman gets it if the gear is not around. We're talking about where the damage was caused after death. And the, the other Bryceus that says that there's no obligation, so that's like Rav Chizda who says that there's no obligation to the woman. And this is a problem, as always, whenever you have a machlok, is an argument between Amoraim, the sages of the Gemara, so you can't have the same argument by the sages of the Mishnah, because, or the Brisa, because if they're arguing in the, in the Brisa of the Mishnah, there's no reason for an Amora, for a set of Amoraim, the sages of the Gemara, to argue about it. So that's really the question, the bottom line. So the Gemara is going to say, no, it's not a problem. It says like this, According to Rabbah, there's no way to weasel out of this. There's an argument here, because according to Rabbah, so there's an obligation to pay the woman. So there's no way to explain the one who says that there's no obligation. But according to Rav Chizda, who says that there's no obligation to pay the woman, we can explain why there would sometimes be an obligation. We don't have to say that there's actually an argument. Like Kasha. Because we can say that there's no problem. It actually has to do, when we talk about that there's an obligation to pay her, it has nothing to do with the Dmei is the actual value of the child. There's other money that we could talk about. According to Rav Chizda, there's an obligation to pay for the Shevach Vladis, for the value that she's gone up in value now that she was pregnant. According to the sages, there's there's no obligation to pay that. So that's why we could say that that's what they're arguing about. One writer that says that there's a chiv, there's an obligation to pay her, it's because we're talking about the shevach is the amount of value that she's personally gone up in value now that she was pregnant. And it's going according to Rishimigam Leel. And a writer that says that there's no obligation, it's because it's also talking about the shevach is the amount that she's gone up in value when she was pregnant. And it's talking about the sages who say that there's no obligation to pay for that. So Gemara says, wait, e Rishimigam Leel, if indeed when we say that there's an obligation, we're talking about this value, and it's Rishimigam Leel, why do we have to talk about that? the gear, the convert is dead. That that's when the that's when the chavala, the destruction occurred. Even when the convert is alive, she also gets half. What are we making a distinction between before and after death in regards to the convert? Gemara answers, No, when the convert is alive, so she only gets half. What the Bryson means when it says that there's an obligation to pay her in regards to the shevach the money that she personally has gone up in value besides for the value of the fetus, so then that means that she gets all all of that value when the convert has died. Vibaisim, another possible explanation, we could say that we don't need to make a distinction between the version of the Bryce that says that there's an obligation and the one that says that there's no obligation, that one of them is the rabbis, one of them is the Rishimigam Lil. We could say that both of them are Rishimigam Lil. What's the distinction has to do with what we're talking about? If we're talking about the value that she's gone up in value, so then that's what we meant when we said that there's an obligation to pay. And the Bryce that said that there's no obligation, so that's talking about the actual value of the child, of the miscarriage, of the baby. So the Gemara says, hold on a second. Amri, we could say like this, From the fact that we see that according to Rosh Hashimah is an obligation to pay not only half of what she's gone up in value, but even the entire amount of, the, of what she's gone up in value, and the money all goes to her. So we could say that also in regards to the Dmei Vladois, the money that the, the child was worth, maybe she should get that as well. And not only that, but when did Rosh Hashimah and the rabbis argue? They argued when the Kamar was around. So maybe that's where they argue, but maybe they would even agree, the rabbis would even agree to Rabbi Gamliel that, that all the money goes to her, the Shevach Vladis, the, the money that she's gone up in value, and the Dmei Vladis, the value of the child, that also goes to her if the convert's not around. And that would be a question of Rabbi Chizah, because Rabbi Chizah says that she for sure doesn't
doesn't get anything at all. So the Gemara answers, Amri, we say like this, No, you can't prove anything. In regards to the fact that she gets the second half of the money, in regards to the, the fact that she's gone up in value personally, since she already has something and half of it, so then she can get all of that money. The value of the child itself, that she never had any anything in it at all. So then now as well, even though the convert's not around, she's also not going to get it at all. So Rav Chiz is not going to run into issues here. The Gemara continues. Rav Yeva asked the following question from Rav Nachman. Let's say there was somebody who was holding on to a document that belonged to a convert. The document said that a certain person, a certain Jew, owed the convert a piece of land. So now, Mahu, what's going to be the halacha? If, let's say, the person who's holding on to this document, it's a third party, he's holding on to the document for the gear, for the convert, the convert dies, and we want to know if now the person who's holding on to the document has automatically acquired the piece of paper itself. The piece of land for sure he can't get because that belongs to whoever, it says that this Jew who owes the gear, who owes the, to the convert, so obviously he gets it right away, he's the first person to be zoche in it. But what about the piece of paper? When a person is holding on to a document, so he in his mind is thinking about the piece of land, he's thinking about what's written into the document, which is that there's a piece of land that's owed to the convert. And he doesn't have that piece of land. And therefore he's not going to get the document, the piece of paper itself as well. He doesn't have in mind for the document. Or perhaps, he also intends, his mind is also thinking about the piece of paper itself. And therefore he's going to get the piece of paper. So he responded and said, Ani Mari, answer me, my, my teacher. What does he need it for? He needs a piece of paper to use as a bottle stopper? Meaning, this question is not such a relevant question. What are you asking about? He said, yes. Indeed, my question is if he wants to use it for a bottle stopper. Amar Rabbah. Rabbah says, If let's say there's a collateral that belongs to a regular Israelite, it's in the hands of a convert. So we'll use names here. The convert will call him Yisro, and the Yisrael, the regular Jew, will call him Ruvain. So Ruvain borrowed money from Yisro, and Yisro now says, you, you owe me the money, I want some kind of collateral that you're going to pay. So he has a collateral. Now Yisro, the Ger, dies. The convert dies. So generally speaking, so if a convert dies and there's no, there's no one to inherit him, so anyone can come along and grab his property, there's nobody there's no relatives that he has to take it so anyone can come along so now comes along this guy another guy another Jew a Shimon we'll call him so Shimon comes along he wants to grab this thing which was collateral that belonged to Ruvain originally so we take it away from Shimon we give it back to Ruvain my time what's the reason keep the mislay gear because once the convert Yisro dies so the fact that it was encumbered to him it's gone and therefore it automatically reverts back to the original owner which was Ruvain let's say we have a different case Yisro the gear the convert so he has a mashkin a collateral by Ruvain the Israel, and now the convert dies. So now another Jew, Shimon, comes along. He wants to grab that item because it originally belonged to Yisro the Ger. What happens? So Ruvain, who was owed $100, so he gets $100 worth of that item. And the person who now grabbed it, so he gets the rest of the value of that item. So if it's worth more than $100, whatever the loan was, so the second person can in fact take the rest of the value. The says, Why is that so? Why don't we say that the courtyard that belongs to Ruvain has the ability to acquire something for him? Rabbi Yisbar Hanina says, 
way. There's a concept that the courtyard of a person has the ability to acquire things for him even without his awareness. So we say, what are we talking about over here? The lesson that the person himself, Reuven, the person who had lent the money, he's not around. So wherever he is around, that if he wants to create some kind of acquisition, that he can, in fact, do it because he's there. So then his courtyard also has the ability to acquire something for him. But where he's not there, he's not around, he's in a faraway land. If he himself had wanted to do it, he couldn't acquire something. So his chazir, his courtyard, does not have the ability to acquire something for him. So that's the case over here. That's why the person who came along and grabbed it had the ability to grab it. Rashi explains that this last line is actually not a continuation of the previous statement. The halacha is if somebody wants to grab it, the reason that he has the ability to grab this collateral, which would originally belong to the convert who now died, is because the the item is not actually in the courtyard that belongs to the person who lent the money. So as long as it's not in that courtyard, so then someone else can come along and grab it. But if it would be in the courtyard that belonged to the person, the courtyard would in fact acquire it for that person who lent the money and the collateral was sitting by him. We begin the Mishnah. Someone who digs a pit inside of his private domain and he opens it up to the public domain such that anyone can access the, the bore. And Rashi says that he made his own area, his own property to be considered like like the public domain. Or if, let's say, he dug it in the public domain and he opened it up into his private domain. Let's say he dug it inside of his own private domain and he opened it up to someone else's private domain. In all these cases, Chayev is given an obligation to pay. And Rashi says that the case, the third case as well, is where he was mafkir, he made ownerless the area that was his. So in all of these cases, there's an obligation for a pit and anything that falls into there is going to have an obligation to pay for the damages. Obviously, in accordance with the parameters of a bore. We begin the Gemara. If someone digs a, a pit in the private domain and he opens it up to the public domain, so there's an obligation. Rabbi Shmuel says this is the concept of bore of the pit that was spoken about in the Torah itself. Rabbi Kiva says, When is it talking about, what is it talking about in the Torah when it speaks about the concept of the pit? It's where he actually made his property ownerless, but not the bore, the pit itself. With Hashem's help, we'll continue from here in the next Daily Duff.